Well, hello, Timberline friends and others. It's great to be with you again. The middle of May, spring has sprung, rabbits are everywhere. You know the drill. You know me if you've been in this situation at all here at Timberline for very long, and you know that I love questions. I love the why question. That's like the two-year-old question, right? I love why is the sky blue, how to fish, and why do they stay under like that? Did you ever get a question that catches you off guard, like sticks in your mind, and you mull it, and you mull over it, you reflect, you turn it over and over in your head? In June of 2000, with Charlie White in Vienna, Virginia, about 20 miles outside DC, I had one of those questions. Charlie had been ill with cancer and he was in hospice care at his house and I went to see him. Charlie had begun his faith journey with Jesus just a few months before. He was in his mid sixties and I don't know where his question came from exactly. Um, you know, he must've read Paul, the apostle. He must've read this. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, sixth verse says, so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So here's Charlie, chief of staff for a congressman, former Navy sub-captain, an athlete, is a new believer, uh, losing essentially his valiant fight against virulent cancer, but he had this vibrant spirit. He was skeletal in body, but a vibrant spirit. So I walk in and Charlie says, Nick, what does it mean to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord? Like, how does that work? And it caught me off guard. And I just sort of blurted out, uh, Charlie, um, I haven't done that part yet. So I'm not sure how that works. But if it works like everything else, all the other things I've done in following Jesus, where I've obeyed him, obeyed him and listened to him, uh, those have all worked. So I'm assuming the same thing going forward. So I think that when it says to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord, it, I think it means that if you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. <laughs> you come to me for counseling, it's deep. That's all I'm saying. But I've thought about that question a ton. There's an Old Testament passage that helps me here. No person or group um, that I'm aware of has any more God experience than Israel as a nation. It's a powerful experience. It's a checkered history. They keep wandering off. And there was a moment in time when they had wandered off. And uh, I'll call it a come to Yahweh moment. Couldn't be a come to Jesus moment yet because Jesus hadn't come then. But there was a tribal group called the Philistines who kept fighting with them and vice versa. And in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, it reads like this. Samuel was their leader at the time. He was a prophet. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, some of those gods, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the, of the Philistines came up to attack them. 
While Samuel was sacrificing the bird offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into so much, into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth Kerr. Then Samuel took a stone. Here's the part. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far the Lord has helped us. What, what is it about human beings that we like to name rocks? I mean, Horse Tooth Peak, because it looks like a horse. Long's Peak, because a guy named Long, Stephen Long, led an expedition, expedition there in 1820. Uh, Meeker Mountain, because Meeker was one of the founders of Greeley, I understand. Uh, chimney Rock up in Nebraska, because it looked like a chimney. It was a marker for the settlers coming west. But a marker, essentially, a naming of something, is essentially remembering. I'm calling this message Remember, you say, well, you're calling it remember because you have more history behind you than you have future in front of you on this. But I know that, but that's not why I named it that. This is remember, okay? Ebenezer literally means up to this point in our story, God has helped. Sort of like the old Western writers say, looking down your back trail, we say, well, so far, so good. I kind of like how my friend in D.C. Batterson says it when he says, so far, so God. That'd be a good habit to get into. Why don't you just say that with me? On the count of three, we'll say, so far, so God. Here we go. One, two, three. So far, so God. Remembering God moments is a choice. It's a choice. Think about self-talk. You hear this with psychologists, with athletes, with people who are trying to focus on things. Self-talk is a key part of our health, our healthiness, our wholeness, whether it's mental, emotional, spiritual, or physical. Self-talk that gives a wider view makes us healthy. Now, self-talk that gives us a poor view, like, aren't you crummy and you'll never get it right, and you know who do you think you are? That'll not help you. But when we look for a wider view, there is no wider view than God himself. So what are we remembering? What are you remembering these days? In our selective memory, and all of us have that, in our selective memory, what are we remembering? Let me give you an illustration. It was July 2013. Ruth and I were celebrating our 50th anniversary. We had gotten one of these big houses, cheaper than a hotel when you gather all the clan together out on the coast of California, and there were 20 some of us. And um, we were just having a wonderful week together, all of our kids and our grandchildren. And they said on Thursday afternoon, you and mom both need to leave for two or three hours because we're gonna do a talent show and we need to get it ready. And so down there in the San Diego area, we took off, we came back and they did a talent show. We had everything from basketball dribbling to karaoke singing, to sort of acting, to dance routine. It was tremendous, went on. I mean, it was great, great fun. And we had said when they were gonna do this talent show that at the end, we'd like to do something. And so Ruth and I took about 30 minutes and said, look, we've had 50 years together and we'd just like to tell you, especially you grandchildren, 
some points, some points in time, some God moments when in our perspective, he showed up. And so we just started telling him stories like when I was a three-year-old in New York City and got scarlet fever and it went into a mastoid infection in my ears and the doctor said, if we don't stop it, it'll go into his brain, it could kill him. And I was healed. That's what they said, I was healed of that. And then Ruth surviving a fall out of a car when she was four years old and the car was going 50 miles an hour on a country road, but it had what they called back in the day suicide doors that opened this way. And she reached over to throw something out and it pulled her out and she tumbled and banged up her knees a bit, but she could have been killed and wasn't. It was a God moment for us, finding a way for me through 25 years of stuttering by the encouragement of people who loved me and by taking a drama class. That way I could know the words before I got to them and the matchless grace of God. It was a God moment. Or when Ruth and I were grad students and we gave our last $5 in an offering to missions and went home and that next day we got a $10 check in the mail. And you say, well, the check was already in the mail. I mean, you know, you would have gotten the $10. If you'd have kept the five, you'd have 15. Yeah, but it wouldn't be such a cool story. And it wouldn't be something that we felt we were supposed to do. Or even just Ruth and us, Ruth and I finding each other and, and hanging in for 50 years. We are such different personalities. I'm a city guy and she's a country girl and I've traveled the world when I was a little kid and she stayed just in a farming area. And then seeing lives transformed for a dozen years in Urbana, Illinois, when we were church planters, seeing old and young, seeing people in the trades and people in professions come to faith, homemakers and farmers, it was so exciting. And then just eight weeks before that 50th anniversary, Ruth had collapsed up in Estes Park, and many of you have heard that story. And it was just the grace of God and the skill of the medical community and the place we were, and we felt God's hand was in that. These things can be generational as well. We didn't just tell stories about things that had happened to us, but we had heard stories when we were growing up, like in 1700, ancestors were coming on a ship called the Nassau from England to Yorktown in Virginia, huge storm, some miles offshore, hole punched in the side of the ship, and they called one of the guys up on deck, a Huguenot fellow, that's a Protestant person back in the day, to pray, and the, the ship stopped sinking, and they got to shore and pulled the ship out of the water and found a huge fish lodged in the side of that. And you say, well, that's just an old wives, that's just fantasy. Some years later, we went to Virginia State Library in Richmond, Virginia, and found a book about that ship and that time, and that story was in it. Or Ruth's grandpa, he and his wife were settlers up in the, in the Saskatchewan plains of Canada, and they grew wheat, and it's a desperately challenging place sometimes. And there came the time he told the story about when there was a huge hailstorm coming. They could see it coming, flattening everything. And he went out and he stood in the field and he said, God, please protect my wheat. Just I trust you to do that. Everything around them was flattened except his field. And he was able to provide seed for the rest of the farmers who had lost their crops that year. So far, so God. That's how that works. Even, even Paul the Apostle gets into this act, if you will. He probably leads the act. Second Timothy, the second chapter. To Timothy, my dear son, 
Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And of this gospel, skipping down a little bit in that same chapter, of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed. Here he's going back to a God moment. I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. When there's something to look back to, one can look ahead with confidence. Here's a principle. Look back to move forward. All I'm saying is look back there. Don't go live back there. You've already lived back there once. That's not healthy. Just look back there. Our faith story is our DNA. It's a built-in code. It's like having an iPhone like this where, where you can take emails or texts and you can archive them. It's archived moments that inform this moment. In that great war that scripture describes between good and evil, you can see it all the way through. It's, it's God versus the enemy, if you will, God versus Satan. And the Bible has a graphic account in Revelation 12 where it says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The accuser has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Here are the two pieces. And you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's absolutely true. Not because I said it, but because it's here. Okay. These are the two pieces, the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did on the cross for me and the word of their testimony, what he did in me, what Jesus did and what he did in me. The cross shapes my character. And when I start looking at him and looking for him in things that happen, I see his hand at work. You, you know how it is when, you're, when you go out to buy a car. You say, I think I'll get, uh, I'll just go back a little bit. I think I'll, I'll get a VW bug or something. And all of a sudden you start seeing them all on the on interstates and on the side roads and old ones over in the weeds. You, that when you, when you look to see God in things, instead of just blowing by it, you start seeing Ebenezer moments. Why is it important to hear other people's stories? Not just your own. You need to listen to them need to trust them. You need to be able to use this phrase. Tell, tell me more about that. The word of their testimony encourages us all. That's how it is. One of my favorite stories in the book, okay? One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is John 9. It's a whole chapter about one guy who was blind from birth. He was born blind, and Jesus heals him in a most interesting way. You can read it. Just read John 9. It won't take you very long. But this thing is people came against him because Jesus ostensibly healed him on the wrong day, on the Sabbath, right? And so the religious types, the people who held the power, came against this man, and I love his line. His line establishes an Ebenezer moment. All he says is, I don't know about all that. It's a fourth paraphrase, right? I don't know about all that. All I know is I once was blind, 
And now I see. The proof is in the pudding, as we say. When I was a college president some years ago, I'm this young 30-something guy, and I'm in a situation in the late 70s when interest rates, some of you remember this, interest rates were 18 to 21%. And the school, had it was small school, had a lot of short-term loans, and they were coming due, and I had to go find money, and I was over my head, just plain and simple. But we had, I had brought on board an old retired missionary, and, and he had been in New Guinea after World War II and had some incredible stories. And when I was up against it sometimes, having to find 50,000 in payroll in the next few days, I'd call him in and say, Kenny, his name was Ken Short. I'd say, Ken, just tell me one of those stories. Encourage my faith. And he always had this line about fundraising. By the yard, it's hard. By the, by the inch, it's a cinch. And then he'd go off and tell me a story. And I'd say, I can do this. And we did it. God did it by his grace. And I hear Charlie say, what does absent from the body and be present with the Lord mean, Dick? And I hear myself say, I haven't done that part yet, Charlie. But when I look back at how God has worked in my life, I believe that whatever happens going forward is in his hands. You see, I'm not promised tomorrow. What I am promised is forever. I am not promised tomorrow. I am promised forever. None of us, none of you watching, this old boy standing here, I don't know if I have tomorrow, and you don't know if you do either. But as we follow Jesus, we know we have forever. We all know that life can change in five minutes. You know, I'm probably like you, or well, I won't lay that on you, but I always look for guarantees. I want cars that I know will work. I want relationships that are easier. I you know, plant a plant when Ruth encourages me to, and I want it to grow, and projects I want to work right, and I want to plan for tomorrow for a simple reason. I want to be able to control it. I want to be sure. Well, here's something to be sure of. Jesus is on his way back to the Father, and he gives the disciples, his, his 11 who are left, what he, what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, there's the key, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's a for sure. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Every little bit, I chat with my friend Vern Clark, who used to run the Navy. He lives in Phoenix now. And one of his favorite phrases is, the Lord charts our course. The Lord charts our course. They don't call them maps, apparently, in the Navy. They call them charts. I like that phrase. So years after Matthew recorded Jesus' words, the writer of Hebrews writes this, keep your lives from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Then he goes on to say, remember your leaders 
who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's that generational piece again. And then this line that I love, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Literally, the language says Jesus Christ is yesterday and today the same and forever. So tomorrow's unknown, forever is assured. The day I began my journey of trust, I was able to start recording God moments. And I hear Charlie say, Dick, what, what does it mean to be absent from the body and present with the Lord? And I hear me responding, I haven't done that part yet, Charlie, but I'm counting on the same God that helped me back there to help me going forward. So far, so God. The God of Moses and Elijah is this, the same God that helped them is the same God that helps us. That God spoke and was in Mary and Elizabeth, fully expressed in Jesus. He's the God who is for us and with us. He's the redeemer, provider, water walker, miracle worker, way maker. I love that song. He is the great I am. So finally, here's the deal. Things change. God doesn't. Circumstances, relationships, plans, dreams, trajectories, jobs, careers, those all change. We know this. I mean, maybe you just came here from the Dakotas or from Texas or from California. Same Jesus is here as was over there. He goes ahead. He carries you. He comes behind. He hovers over us. We're in the palm of his hand. All of these ideas and hundreds more you can find here. He is the unchangeable God. I have a friend many years ago back in Washington, D.C., who actually was an old rancher from Montana who had moved to D.C. His name was Fred Hine. And one day he said, Dick, you know, I was talking to Jesus earlier this week, and, and um, Jesus said to me, Fred, one of us has got to change. <laughs> I love that, okay? He is the unchangeable God. So... Too often I forget, however, like the psalmist David, you know, I, I write psalms, let's say, about the God who is my shepherd and my rock and my refuge, and he's the mountains. And in the very next psalm, David turns around and says, where'd you go? Well, the answer to that question is nowhere. If something moved, it wasn't him. So all through scripture, this God who is faithful, this God who is unchangeable, helps in our lives that create, in ways that create moments that we can look back to, back to that shape how we see, see things. This week, just a few days ago, I had a conversation with Joel Schmidgall, who's in DC now, kid from Naperville, Illinois. He was 21 back in the spring of 2000, and he was my aide when I met Charlie and walked with him those last months of his life. Joel, this, <clears throat> excuse me, Joel, this um, six foot four strapping, good looking dude, uh, became Charlie's servant, sort of his buddy, if you will. He, he prayed with him. He sat with us when we had conversations. 
he became his um, taxi driver, taking him to treatments and doctor's visits. They got so close that, that by the time Charlie went home to Jesus, he and his wife Mary wanted to adopt Joel. Well, Joel now is an executive pastor in DC. And when we were talking this week, I said, well, what are your thoughts about Charlie in some of those moments? And this is what he said. I was 21 and I walked for those months with a 65 year old man on his way to his death. Literally, I walked him to death's door. I watched him shrink, if you will, physically, but watched his spirit grow exponentially. I saw his life and I saw his faith and I'm 21 years old and it profoundly shaped how I saw soul questions. Soul questions like, what does it mean to be absent from the body and present with the Lord? And I hear Charlie asking this and I hear me saying, you know, Charlie, I don't exactly know, but all the other parts have worked. You say, why do you keep saying that? Because it's so important that we remember that. We need to be able to say, so far, so God. And we need to walk and stride and soar in confidence. And uh, even though we don't know about tomorrow, we do know about forever. While I was finishing this message, typing it up, just a few days ago, my email dinged and I got um, a closing, if you will, for this message. I thought I had one, but this is what came to my email. It's a message from a friend that I knew 50 years ago back in that church plant in Urbana. Remember I said earlier that one of those Ebenezer moments was those, those, year, those years when we saw people come to faith. This came on Tuesday, May the 11th, 2021. And the title on the email was, The Holy Spirit, You and Me, from my friend of all these years named David. What a lunch we had 50 years ago today, 1971. I don't remember one item on the menu, but I'll never forget what you wrote on that paper napkin as you did a fourth version of the chair and the areas of our lives around the chair, after I unloaded on you prompted by your question, how are things going in your life, Dave? Now understand, this is not about me. He framed it. He said, the Holy Spirit, you and me, all right? How are things going in your life, Dave? As you know, most every area of my life was falling apart. When you asked the question I hadn't been asked before, either by myself or anyone else, who has been responsible for making the decisions in your life up to this point? The truth finally hit me. No more pointing fingers. When I said I had, you drew a stick figure on the, on the throne of my life, on that chair, on the napkin, and then began to explain about my missing the mark and how God called that sin and what would happen in every area of my life if I confessed my sin to God and invited Jesus to take over the throne of my life and lived for him. I responded that it sounded too good to be true. Then later in your Volkswagen bug, I invited Jesus into my heart. Then in caps, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
I have since experienced, and here we go, Ebenezer moments. I have since experienced that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I could ever hope or dream or imagine. All of my family and extended family are fully devoted followers of Jesus. Thank you again. Give our love to Ruth. Love you, brother. Forever grateful. Dave. This is about the God who says, when you commit to me, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You don't have to know about tomorrow. What you do need to know about is forever. Let's pray. Father, in the quiet of this moment, thank you that we can start a journey with Jesus or affirm an ongoing journey with Jesus. Help us not to be in such a hurry in our journeys of faith that we overlook the Ebenezer moments, that we don't pause to look down our back trail and say, so far, so God. For that one listening this morning and watching this morning, or those several who say, I have never started that journey, even in this moment, help them understand what Dave understood 50 years ago that the king of the universe needs to sit on the throne of our lives because we don't have enough knowledge, enough wisdom, enough grace, enough mercy, enough compassion, enough purity to sit on the throne of our own lives. So even in the quiet of this moment, help them to say, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for forgiving my missteps, my poor choices, my missings. Come and sit on the throne of my life and be with me going forward. For I want to be able to look back 12 or 15 or 30 years from now and say, so far, so God. So we offer ourselves to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go on His grace. Don't forget, so far, so God. <laughs>